This summer, you can help Black Rifle Coffee and the Boot Campaign raise $1 million for veterans. All you need to do is grab a can of ready-to-drink coffee from local grocery or convenience stores. From May 31st through August 31st, every can of ready-to-drink coffee you buy will contribute to making this massive donation possible. As one of the top veteran-focused nonprofits in the country, the Boot Campaign is on a mission to provide life-changing aid and benefits to veterans suffering from invisible wounds like post-traumatic stress. Each can you drink gets us closer to hitting a million dollars for vets. So grab a can of Black Rifle ready-to-drink coffee from the BRCC website or your local grocery or convenience store. Let's raise a can together and keep fueling Americans for a good cause. It's a little different podcast. Um, let's, let's do it this way. Tell me your name, your background in the military, and then what we're talking about today. Okay. Uh, first of all, I appreciate you having me here. Uh, all this is of my own experiences, and I'll give you everything firsthand. And if not, I brought receipts. Yeah. All right. So my name is Dan Robert, retired from the U.S. Army. I was a staff sergeant. I finished out my 12-year time um, with a medical retirement after a few different things happened. Um, I was the first uh, named plaintiff against the Pentagon in the court case over the vaccine mandate. Uh, a lot of stuff went into that. I, you know, I spent my time in the military focusing entirely around the idea of take care of the men and you'll never be wrong. And that, that leadership guidance that was given to me was been, has been my guiding light through the entire ordeal. Um, I held strong to my values and my beliefs throughout that thing. I tried to help as many people as I possibly could. And, you know, now separated, I guess it's a little easier for me to speak freely about some of the stuff that, you know, I had pending litigation and stuff at the time. And, you know, there's a lot of danger around being a person who's willing to speak up uh, in such a situation, which like I said, we'll, we'll definitely get to talk about. So, yeah. So we'll back up because th this is obviously over the pandemic and the things that were taking place. Right. So you're on active duty at the time. Were you a drill at the time? Uh, so when COVID kicked off in March of 2020, I was actually in the Drill Sergeant Academy mm -hmm. uh, in Fort Jackson. And we had got word that this thing was happening. And they told us like, hey, uh, you guys are not going to have a graduation. People are not going to be there because they might be trying to space people out. And then they canceled just the last week of my course. We had taken our final tests and it was a combatives refresher and most of us were, were certified. So we're like, oh man, just let us go. Uh, and then after lunch one day told us like, hey, this is getting pretty serious. We don't know more about this COVID thing, but you guys are getting cut loose. You have three hours, clear the barracks, get back to your home units or whatever. Uh, showed back up and then it was minimum manning. So I graduated the school and then I got kind of put on hold uh, on my PCS orders to Fort Benning to actually start the job for a little bit. Okay, and then you get at some point the notification that, hey, this is a Department of Defense mandate, right? And this is obviously coming from the Pentagon. We say sue in the Pentagon, I think DOD, <clears throat> but there's a lot of entities that run and operate out of that. There is. You, you get it trickled down and saying, hey, like anthrax, because I was the anthrax generation where okay. it was like, Hey man, you want to go down range? You want to go to war? Like, yes. Well, then you got to get this anthrax. I'm like, yeah, but I don't want that in my body. They're like, well, do you want to go to war? And I'm like, well, I'll weigh war and the the desire and more than I will uh, whatever it is that you're going to put in me. I mean, they could have said it. We're going to give you AIDS, and I would be like, yeah, well, give me that dose of AIDS. Let me go <laughs> and do yeah. some do some work. Yeah. So you get mandated and told, and then. It's it's against your belief, and what belief is that? Were you just like, I'm not doing this? So it started off with, um, I had basically because I'd been in a motorcycle accident, and as you'd heard before, 
broke my back in a parachute accident. I walked in a cane for a year and a half, came back from that. Two knee surgeries. I had a lot of time around a lot of different doctors in the military, which put me in contact with people that became very uh, important whistleblowers down the road, which will, some of the names you know, you know, which people that said hi, by the way, we'll talk about, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, but um, so those people had asked me like, Hey, this thing, uh, you know, I want to see what the date was August 9th, um, of 2021 Lloyd Austin, secretary of defense mm -hmm. had said that he's going to mandate the shot, whether it seeks FDA approval or not. And then he said, right. So he said, and I will seek the president's approval if otherwise, whatever comes first. So if you know anything about EUA or like experimental use, right. Or emergency use, I apologize. Uh, emergency use authorization, it can only exist is, exist if there is no treatment that is approved for the thing. And the only way that it can be mandated is if it is uh, approved by the president and has to be tied to a very specific need for a very specific amount of time, usually an act of war, like to deploy mm -hmm. uh, in an emergency, you would need it at the time if he would sign it. So a lot of people called this the Biden vaccine mandate. And the truth is he never did. Inside the military, this was always Lloyd Austin's action. So on August 24th of the same month, uh, it receives its initial BLA approval. Now that process is different than a full FDA labeling guidance and like production and everything. So we heard that the Pfizer vaccine is going to be labeled uh, Comirnaty, and then that's going to be the approved one. So Lloyd Austin puts out this memo and says, hey, you will receive, and this verbiage is really important, you will receive an approved vaccination in accordance with FDA labeling guidance. So he protected himself there. Because he didn't order us to take an EUA vaccine because under Title 10, Section 1107 and 1107 Alpha, you can't mandate it. You have to. There's informed consent. And this is all stuff. These words might be popping up over the last three years. You might have heard. Right. So he said that you're going to get the approved one. But it was too early. It was too early it was for the same be, one. Right. Just, they just labeled it something different. So what they did is kind of like, uh, did you you have several kids? Did you pick out a name for your kid before it was actually mm -hmm. born? Same thing. This is them picking out a name and approving it long before it was even fully developed. Wow. Exact same thing, right? Because there's a, there's a process and it takes about three years, which is interesting because we're at that point right now and what just happened. Yeah. All of those things just got pulled from the market now that the post-authorization studies are finished. So he signaled that he knew that we didn't have the right thing. Uh, so that gets handed down. Um, I filed my lawsuit because of my connections with certain people. Like I said, I was well, asked. Well, before the lawsuit. Yeah. How did the how did it go down with you personally? Were you like, hey, they want us to take a uh, vaccine? I'm like, I'm not taking a vaccine. I'm not taking something that's crazy. And then were you just like, hey, you know, platoons aren't you know going up the chain of command. Yeah. I'm not doing this. And then how did that work out? Right. So good question. And I kind of skipped over it. Um, so as a drill sergeant, it's kind of your responsibility to be a master of regulations, right? If you have female soldiers or people of different, uh, you know, ethnic backgrounds or whatever, or like religious backgrounds, you have to know the exemptions for things. You have to know all of the regs to a T all the time, because if you're going to make those corrections, you need to be an expert, which I respect a lot. And I Ask that of the community yeah. as a standard. It's not just yelling at people. It isn't. No. Yeah. And that's honestly, as you uh, do it for a long time, that's like your least favorite part, you know, mm -hmm. seeing them grow is what I uh, cared about. And then, so for me, uh, AR 40-562, section 2.6, appendix Charlie. If you guys want to look that, look that up. If not, I have a copy here. Uh, it talks about exemptions. And a big one was if you have had a disease like COVID and you have a serologic blood test or a positive test previously, you're exempt. 
you do have to file for it, but you do not have to get this thing. Mm. And I was like, it's an EUA, it's already looking kind of weird, and I want my guys to know that they have a choice because like here it is right in the regs, like black and white, and 40-562 has different names, but spans across all branches. Um, is that supporting, is that clause, for lack of better terminology, supporting natural immunity as like an out? Like, hey, you already had it. Why were we going to give you something you already had? That's exactly what it is, mm. right? That's exactly what it is. And there's, like I said, there was an element of proof to that, right? So I saw that and I was letting people know there's a choice. And now what triggered my response was that they were like, no, there's no exemptions. I'm like, well, hold on. Like, I was like, yeah, there is. Here they are. And uh, this is what they say. And then they're like, no, absolutely not. Put it away. You're getting it. And it was just like, it was Whoa. such an overwhelming response at the yeah. time. Uh, it, that almost like, seems like, seems like a, a, a fearful response, both in right. the profession because I don't want to lose my career or get in trouble. Right. And also just do it because that's just what you do. You just do it. It's like, yeah, but I'm showing you the reg, the law, and I'm telling you that we don't have to. And they're just like, well, yeah, just get it done. That's exactly how it was. And Ooh. that's the thing is, like I said, Lloyd Austin's memorandum was very specific. Specific, You will get the FDA approved one. Yeah. But the way it was enforced down through the chain of command, right? You telephone game, one step away, moves it this much. How many steps between the Secretary of Defense and a company commander on Fort Benning and a basic training unit are there that the information is going to change? And then it's just, no, they have to get one, period. Um, and then, so Terry Adaram, and I want to say she was the like undersecretary of defense for like, uh, she was like of health and human services. I can't remember her exact title, but she came out with a letter after the Navy approached her and said, hey, we tried to order this approved shot you said existed. And the NDCs, which were not in the uh, database, it's, it says it's unorderable right on the website. So they're like, can we get the approved thing? And then she came out with a memo and said, just use the EUA stuff as though it were the approved thing. Wow. So like I said, exact verbiage. So she kind of took the hit for the way she enforced Austin's mandate. And she kind of became like the target, like a, like a sacrificial scapegoat. You know, yeah, scapegoat. There we go. Did um, So what basic training company were you at? What what battalion and company were you at? Uh, bounced around a little bit. Alpha 219 was my primary. So. Oh, it's Charlie 119. Okay, right. Is that called hill. In that Hell's Kitchen? That was like, we were like Candyland. <laughs> I think it bounces around. Yeah. Uh, so they're, Charlie those are one of the, that's actually one of the few, I think, integrated uh, like male and female platoons and stuff. Really? Too. It is, yeah. So <laughs> there's only a handful out there and I think that's one of them. Wow, um, okay. Damn but it. But yeah, right down the hill from your guys' DFAC, that's where 219 was. So that's okay. where. Okay, yeah. 219 is right down the road. And you're going through, because you have a company first sergeant and a company commander, right? Correct. How did they act? Like, what was the exact moment when you're like, I ain't doing this? And they're like, you're doing it. And you're like, I'm not doing this. So they kind <clears> of, <throat> they came from the soft community, right? Which is mm -hmm. like, this plays into a really important thing. So like my first sergeant was a sergeant first class. He's Green Beret. Really solid dude. I respect him a lot. So really? He, yeah, absolutely. What's like, his, Is he still on active duty? He is. And I'll spare him my, you know, <laughs> spinning that out right now. Uh, he did. He, Who's this guy? Sometimes he would play kind of dumb with brigade where it's like, uh, he'd be like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, we don't do that over there. So he would kind of like let us get the job done and stay out of our way a lot. He yeah, respected yeah. us and like empowered his NCOs. He's like, oh, yeah, I wasn't aware. And then just like let us do our job. I don't mean break rules or haze people. I mean like get the job done as it needs yeah. to uh, with respect to what needed to get done as NCOs. Um, and then my company commander was from regiment. Um, mm. now to have him go there to a basic training company, you wonder like, what did he do wrong? Yeah. You know, like uh, sometimes so, it's a bump yeah. up. Like sometimes they got to do staff time Yeah, and some of them will float bidding. If he was in third bat, they'll float bidding yeah. or they just are shit bags. 
Yeah, I mean, he was, like I said, he treated me with a lot of respect. So he had a way of kind of being like, okay, if you're saying no, he's like, I'm going to let this sit on my desk until they ask. And they say, hey, wait, is Robert getting it? And then when then he'll be like, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, he told me this a week ago. So he, like, kind of dragged his feet on to give me time. And then... Like give you time to make the decision to do it? Well, I think that it was kind of like uh, he knew I was working on this case and he knew who I was oh, speaking cool. with. Okay, yeah. And I think, and I, and I kind of outlined this to him. I was like, hey, look, sir, I was like, I am challenging this as an unlawful order. Right? And I'm telling you that, like, you don't have the authority to tell me to get it. I was like, and then I even at one point drafted a paper, said, like, hey, like, formal army memorandum, are you telling me to get this EUA vaccination? Are you telling me I have to? Like, yes or no, and sign here. And then he's like, he brought it to Brigade Legal and came back, and he was kind of like, uh, I was advised my career would end quickly if I sign this. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, I kept putting that in their box. Uh, but here's the important thing, right? I was getting pretty good at the, like, tradecraft side of legal stuff, too, in here. And he had to scan it up to Brigade Legal. So what could I do then is FOIA request all the traffic that they had yeah. a conversation oh, yeah. about. Yeah, that's important. So I never really needed him to sign it. I just needed it to go up the food chain. In the system, yeah. And it made it all the way to the DOJ. They were reading it up in the Pentagon, and then that is when the phone call started. And they started calling down straight from the DO, like uh, the Pentagon to my company commander. I mean, they wanted to know everything that was I was doing. Where am I? Who am I talking to? Do I tell the privates about this? Like, what is Robert eating for lunch? You know, like they wanted to know. Jeez. I mean, so they start digging, right? Um, what, is, what, do you, what do you think their concern was? Is it because you were going against the grain and they didn't want any problems? Because they didn't want Lloyd Austin to bring drama on the unit so there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces to that and like i'll try to not speculate but i'll be very clear about what i don't think it was uh and then i don't think it was an accident or just like a blind move because it's what we've always done i will tell you that lloyd austin specifically still holds thirty thousand shares of tenant health stock right which are placed strategically all around military bases all around the u.s if a service member is going to get it off post or their families or anything then for these shots were given for free to these clinics for every one they distribute they reimbursed 40 to 70 dollars for every single dose right and you just think what do you about mean? he had stock he had stock in making this mandate so what i'm saying is there's a kind of a vested interest for him like he was he had investments he did you have to be shitting. <laughs> it's all in his sec files it's public info and uh so lloyd yeah. austin has has invested money in the back end of the infrastructure of the supply chain. He does. And uh, still, even in, you know, when he took his office oh my God. as Secretary of Defense, he had to divest within a year from his Raytheon stocks. Just as well, when you read the formal, like, letter from him saying, hey, I sold it for this much or whatever, one, the math does not add up for what he said he made off of it for what the opening closing numbers were. I don't need to get into that right now. The point is, Something was always askew with those numbers and a portion of it, he said, and I'm I'm just holding on to this. So, I mean, we have another conflict of interest, right? The fact that you're a general officer retired, that you were the right. CENTCOM commander, yeah. and that you literally have stock in Raytheon, period, is insane. I couldn't, right. as an E7 and SF, I couldn't bounce at a local club because... They said, oh, you can't bounce at the local club because you're double dipping. Like, it's it's against the regulation. <laughs> okay. You can't work a side hustle. Which is not true. Yeah, like, I can't yeah. go to, I can't make $15 an hour at a side hustle, but you could have millions of dollars of shares in Raytheon while you're doing Raytheon deals with the industrial complex. Like, get the out of my face. $80 million hypersonic missile contract. Where did that just go? 
Oh my God, right? dude. Raytheon, you know what I mean? Like I said, like this stuff is still happening. Yeah. Um, so that's a piece of it, right? Um, so how do you get to, how do you get to a point where you're like, you know what? I'm going to sue the government. Like I'm going to sue these guys. So one of those doctors who again was one of the whistleblowers down the food chain, which we're getting close to talking about, uh, reaches out to me and says like, Hey, listen, like you're smart, dude. Like you seem to have an idea. Like no one's going to strong arm you mentally or physically. Like I think you're a good representative for this thing. Wait, some random doctor that's in the chain. Somebody I he sees this happening. Somebody I've been speaking to already. Oh, right? okay, so okay. a close friend. Uh, so they say, hop on this phone call with me. It's a zoom call. So I get on it and there's two star, two star, three star, Dr. Peter McCullough. If you know who that is. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. So here I'm on like this call on this call and I'm a staff sergeant. Yeah. It's staff sergeant from the hood down there living in Columbus, <laughs> man. <laughs> like I say, you know, just like, uh, just, uh, off exit three, you know, just like, Oh man, what, uh, <laughs> wow. what is this? I was like, we got a problem. I was like, you know, and there's like 16 people on this call and you can Google everybody in there except for me. Uh, till after this, right? Um, and I was just like, what is going on? And all these people have information and they're telling me, they're throwing words around that like, if you want to dig deep into conspiracy sides, honestly, they've been right about a lot of it and we can get into that eventually if you want. Um, but they're like, this is why this is happening and this is why we believe that it is going to compromise the strategic capability of the United States military. And they said it was an ideological purge inside of the force. They want to see who's going to buck the system, right? The shot never mattered. Mm. Um, at the time. So they said, we need somebody to do it. And like, they asked me and I was like, man, I was like, we got stars on your chest. Like, why, why are you guys not being the people? Some of them were retired. I didn't know at the time. Cause it's just how their name showed up. Right. Um, but they were just like, no, we need somebody like that's going to be there. And we know it's going to like fight the whole way through this. So I was like, you know what? Take care of the men. You'll never be wrong. I was like, I have an absolute responsibility. The drill sergeant motto is the army motto is this will defend. Right. And like, I just took that to heart every part of the NCO creed. And I said, this isn't even a choice. I was like, this is my responsibility. Yeah. Unquestionably, these people need this of me. And I was like, and I'm going to be there for them. So I cut a deal with the lawyers that day. I said, Hey, no money gets exchanged. If you're okay with how this needs to move around. I was like, but you're my attorney until I have an honorable discharge. If it takes five years and I go to prison for four of them, you do not let me sit there and rot. You try every day until I'm free. Everybody kind of looked around the room was like, yeah, agreed. Absolutely. So they financed it. I so mean, yeah, obviously big staffs aren't pay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As you know. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so, so they offered that we drafted up all the paperwork, lawyers sent stuff back and forth. And then we filed our initial case. Uh, it was like September 7th. I mean, shortly after, um, Austin put his mandate letter out on the 24th. Mm. And then, uh, one of the attorneys, Todd calendar comes back. And if you dig into Todd, he's a very mysterious individual who's been very successful in a lot of different careers. Um, Todd comes back. He says, Hey, do you want to go on Fox? Do you want to do an interview? And do you want to get the word out? I said, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people struggling out there with this choice and they don't know they have rights. And I want to tell them, you know, and we didn't have a lot of information at the time. I was like, let's, let's do Fox. Mm -hmm. So I had to notify Fort Benning PAO and like, boom, what did they say? Gag (laughs) order Fort Benning caught fire. Like everybody, their (laughs) phone calls ripping every direction. They're terrified. They're like, Oh my God, what is he going to say? Like, we, we got to shut Robert up. And then uh, PAO, somebody got a hold of it. They're like, dude, you can't, like, you cannot because he has a legal case as long as he doesn't talk about that. Like, you cannot step on him for this. Like, get out oh, of his way. Oh, that's good. So they're advocating for you a bit. Well, eventually, well, they were kind of trying to, you know, CYA, right? So they, uh, the PAO formally trains me, right? I go over there and I, I sign an agreement. I'll, I will take your training 
if you allow me to do this podcast and stay out of my, not podcast, um, interview on Fox and stay out of my way. Right. So they agree. And so like get dressed up and go over there. We do like mock interview stuff and it's like a murder board. If you've ever heard about that. I mean, they're just yeah. asking you anything. Oh, so you're saying this, like, and just trying to like get you sweating the and pull PAO's you off. Like, that? yeah, they're doing That's that. Funny. They're so good at their job. Scenario based training. Yeah. It's so good at their job. So, uh, you know, they put me through a lot of that and then tell me some important information. And then, uh, you know, I got to go do the interview now, by the time I got to do the interview, you know, there's Fox in your ear, earpiece. And it was just an over the phone thing, like a video. Uh, there's Fox in your ear and they're trying to hype you up. They're like, oh, remember all that stuff you said about being betrayed and it's unlawful and yeah, like they're yeah. criminals and like, yeah. like trying to fire you up, you know. So then by the time you get on the air, you know, you think they just want you to come out the, you it's know. hype squad. Yeah, so they, they do that and it's it hard. Down. You're hearing that in one ear. The other one, they're like, all right, roll on camera three, going to Dan and three, two. And like the guy's asking you questions and you're just kind of like, uh, Dude, this is hard to focus, man. But the training, it helped, it helped me a lot. Um, so that interview goes up. I come back to work the next day, and there's everyone just waiting quietly to see me. And they're like, hey, battalion commander wants to talk to you. I'm like, oh, cool. So, like, they have this, like, initial counseling about it, which is just, like, a – it's just a formal record of a conversation if people don't know what, like, a, a counseling is in the General Army. General counseling. It's just saying, yeah, like, we're just like, yeah. hey, we're at this conversation. That basically, like, hey – that you stepped out of line for whatever reasons. These are the rules we gave you. You broke them. I didn't. And then there's meetings at the G3 level over and over where they're trying to get rid of me. So Major General Donahoe, who was already under a lot of flack on uh, Tucker Carlson for his tone of his Twitter stuff and then like a little bit about grooming some of his younger lieutenants, his inappropriate relationships. So he holds these meetings on Fort Benning of like, how do we get rid of Robert? Get him out of the army now. So all these captains have this meeting and then come back and they're like hey sir he's doing everything right like this guy's doing it by the book like we cannot touch him he's got constitutional rights he's protected and their decision was nope not good enough go back and try again i'll see you again in two weeks so they're making like an active effort to burn me at this point right wow so we're two months in <laughs> uh and uh, you know and i want to get to the big part right here just because i want to make sure this gets out and this gets said um so I finally get a court date, January 21st, 2022. I'm supposed to sit in front of a judge and I'm going to point all this information out. I've got Todd Callender. I've got David from, he's an attorney in Colorado. I've got uh, Dale Saran who beat the anthrax, uh, you know, shot in the nineties. And he's like, this is a battle drill for me, dude. He's like, we already have all the steps. I did this once before. We're going to crush it. So where are you at? Where, where does this take place at? Uh, so like it's going to be in Colorado. It was going to be. Yeah, um, I was going to be able to have them represent me um, just at, at distance. I can't remember the legal term for it, but just I was going to have to give a testimony over uh, like a Zoom call, basically. Yeah. So on the 19th, uh, my case gets dismissed up, gone out of the air. Right. Just no reason. And the judge just drops the thing. And Dr. Teresa Long calls me. And you might have seen her. She's a redhead, uh, Lieutenant Colonel. Uh, she spoke with like Senator Johnson. She was one of the whistleblowers for the DMED data. Yep, right. Yep, you might have yep. seen some of her speeches, right? Yeah, she worked she's been with suppressed all over the place. A right? lot. Peter Chambers and Sam Sigalov, all like I said, friends of mine because of different parts of this, you know, thing. So she calls me and she's in tears and she says, I think this is my fault. She said, I think they got a hold of what I have. And she tells me about the DMED data for the first time. And are you familiar with that at all? Mm-mm. So the DMED data, if you're familiar with VAERS, the DMED data is the Army's internal, not just vaccines, but injury reporting system. It is the most protected data set of medical-like information you could possibly ask for. Only military doctors can edit it. 
So she says, I pulled the DMED data and all the stuff we're worried about, infertility problems, myocarditis, like tumors, cancer, like, uh, you know, just every miscarriage, like every like horrific thing you can imagine, right? She's like, the numbers are so, so bad. On a concentrated population with good data processes. Right. Where you can see. And a generally a healthier, and we know yeah, there's. A healthier, bro- yeah. But then the civilian populace, you know, there are some standards, you know. Um, so she tells me, like, I think. I transmitted this to Todd, she said, and he turned it into the court and the case got thrown out. So there's only a couple ways that could have happened. And what I found out is that Lloyd Austin identified us as a threat to national security. Now to get that label, as you're well aware, that has to go through certain departments and hmm. certain approvals, which they through the uh, D- department of justice, yeah, through the FBI has and been then investigated. DHS, which is on Fort Benning, mm-hmm. right? So they labeled us a domestic threat. And then got our case thrown out, which I believe the only way it could work is through a FISA court because there was no communications about how it happened. So a protected communication happened. And the only way you can use a FISA court, right, is through like this DHS, like uh, whistleblower, like think Edward Snowden, right? Yeah. So like that same thing, like it had to be quiet. It had to make sure that I didn't get wind of it or whatever. So it gets thrown out. So I had put in exemptions because in Appendix C, it tells you that if you have like a pending court order that you're exempt from the vaccination until a decision is made, right? So I put this thing up and it was just pending. Next day, they had a letter, but I show back up to work, my commander's sitting there, he's like, hey, Pentagon called, like, here's your case dismissal, here's your exemption denial, because you no longer have a case. He's like, you, Rob, you have to go get the shot. And I was just like, oh, that was quick. That took months for me to pass up and you had it in 11 hours from the case being dismissed. They already had it lined out, ready to go. They already had it lined. Just like Who was that person who told you that? It was my company commander. Dude, I would have busted <laughs> his ass. Yeah, uh, he's like I'm not I don't know. He's like I'm not sure what happened. He's like this just I'm just showing you. And he was like very standoff all the time. I got this posture a lot. People were like this is just what came down. And you know, so instead of fighting for you, he's just he's like the conduit either way a little bit yeah and like while he did what he could in the end like he still made that decision and there was one other drill that was a vaccine refuser at the time that i mean he was eating just the worst of this stuff all the way up until they just pulled the mandate a couple months ago right this this dude like held the line absolutely till the end and he was going to lose everything another 12 year staff sergeant right jump master eib drill sergeant perfect career like everything you could ask for and they were just you're done um so so that happens, the DMED data leaks. And then I start noticing different things, right? I've got a tail. Our phones are tapped, right? Like people are showing up talking to, you know, our battalion and brigade commanders in suits. Like it looks like you think it does, but no one's talking to me. So we have to start getting crafty. We want to start trading information around and stuff. It's, uh, you know, a two hour SDR to go to the Starbucks up the street, uh, 15 minutes from my house, just so I can put a thumb drive stuck to gum with gum underneath the table to get to somebody else. So it can get to my attorney from somebody else's email so that they don't capture our transmissions again. So like we had to go, do you think that was criminal investigate like CID stuff or do you think it was DOJ? So part of it was CID, uh, because they actually arrested a bunch of my whistleblowers, people that had turned over like the ordering system because the military had said, we can't even order the approved shot. So they turned that over as evidence and CID rolled them up, arrested them, cuffed these dudes at work, took their work computers, their personal laptops, their phones. What? There is this crazy like witch hunt that starts inside, you know? And that's why like whistleblowing 
is like it's kind of a trap and there's not the protection doesn't exist it's very like frog and the scorpion if you yeah, will it's it's horrible it is so the scorpion is going to present that like hey i am this dangerous thing i don't know what you expected from me so just like the government's like hey we have whistleblower protection to tell us about our corruption and then when it makes it back to us you're surprised you got burned like yeah um so that stuff starts um we end up getting a source to appeal this because they didn't give us a good reason. So $10,505 later, my attorneys are relicensed in 10th Circuit. We file an appeal. Looking for a quick and easy way to grab your favorite Black Rifle Coffee roast? Well, you can find America's Coffee on the shelves of your local Walmart. Stock up on your favorite roast, as well as several Walmart exclusives you can't find anywhere else. No need to worry about waiting for shipping or having to drive all the way across town to find your BRCC coffee. Whether you're filling up for an early morning hunt or just need to pick me up during a busy day. Stop by Walmart and grab a bag of Black Rifle Coffee today. Exemption goes back up, sir. I've got another exemption. I've got another case. Here's my filing. I don't need to get. I don't need to get shot. Right. I'm not going. Yeah. I'm not doing. This it. is all while you're trying to do your damn job, by the way. Yeah. So I'm healing from a motorcycle crash, an ACL repair surgery, and I'm a full-time drill sergeant during COVID, which our numbers are already down and hurting. So I've got classes of 220 dudes, and I'm working 20 four-hour shifts sometimes i'm still trying to do that and then i go home and i'm up for another whole day just trying to get these emails typed out and send this stuff up right so we so we get the big report together right a 21 slide slideshow congress this is the appeal for all, all the stuff that happened right well before that mm -hmm. so we get the chance to speak with house armed services committee right mm -hmm. on a burner phone and we get everything out and they're like this is what we're interested in so we're like we get all of the anybody that was involved and we pull all this information together, 21 page slideshow. Here's all the data. Here's all the injuries. Here's everything that's going on. Here's why it's illegal. Here's Austin stocks, all of it. Right. And we're like, this is it boys. We're going to crush it. So they get this stuff. And what does Congress do? Man, they sit on it. They wanted dirt. They wanted dirt on somebody else on the Hill. They wanted a trading card. They wanted to like get the hen house gossip. And then, but they, did they change anything? No. So they sat on it. Right. And then we're like, man, what happened? Like, you know, they just like, you heard dirt on Lloyd Austin and then you asked for this thing and then nothing happened. You didn't support us. Um, so we just go on, you know, another six months goes by of this type of thing. And it's just like, we hit peak suicide rates uh, for the U.S. military ever in history uh, after the Afghan pullout. Um, military freedom keepers gave us those numbers and stuff on the crisis calls. So you've got people getting kicked out, don't know what to do. You've got people that are lost for all these reasons. Like you've got the people that are having a hard time with the Afghan pullout and feeling what they did was for nothing. And, you know, then I was working with multiple social media pages. We became the sin eaters for every terrible thing that was happening in the army at once. Everybody's dumping on us. Like, please, you have all these connections. You can help get the word out. Like, I need help. We're, it's sexual assaults, like kidnapping, murder, like everything you've seen in the news about like Fort Hood. People are trying to get it to us because they think we can help. And like, we're trying and we're, we're drowning in it. We're drowning it. There's so much bad going on. Um, so, you know, I've got, when I look back and I think about why did I do this? I think about, you know, the thousands of emails, text calls, in-person conversations I had that. People told me, they're like, hey, man, I was lost and I didn't know. And they were threatening to take everything. And you made me feel okay. And I didn't feel crazy. And like, you gave us a choice. You gave my family a choice. And I didn't have to like, you know, I, I didn't have to burn my values, you know, to try and keep this job. And they're like, so you kept a gun out of my mouth, mm. you know? And like, to hear that, I was like, man, it was worth it. Like, you know, you're doing the right yeah, thing. Yeah. So I get emotional about it, but it's like, man, it's so heavy. And, uh, you know, and I still get those calls and it's, it's hard because that persecution never stopped. You know, 
you have guys like Britton Lindbergh, who's uh, over here in um, 19th group, and they kicked him and pulled his Tricare two weeks before his kid was born. You know, and there's just there's no humanity left in the thing. Who's that? What happened uh, with that? that case? So Britton Lindbergh. Uh, so he, and he'd hate that I'm putting this out on social media as much as uh, as he you know already resisted doing it. But he has a rare blood disorder where he's already pr- prone to blood clots. Mm. And the doctor said you should not get this shot. Absolutely medically exempt. Keep your job. Uh, and then when he brought that back to his command, they're like, no, no exemptions. Like I told you, 19th group did that. Yeah. Dude, I'll fuck up some 19th command. I'll call the <laughs> fucking general. I yeah, like will. this that, is well, that shit frustrates me. 19th group, 20th group, Yusufic. Yeah. Like, there's no reason those dudes should not be setting a precedent for helping dudes out. Right. Especially <laughs> like when you have guys like who have real medical conditions. Right. And you're like, you need to get it. So they they pulled his Tricare. Yep. And then two weeks before. Yeah, he can't go to drill. He can't attend any of the anything that he's re- pertained to his job. And then, like, you lose your benefits and stuff during that time. Pull his Tricare, like I said, two weeks before his kids. We need born. to get him on the podcast. Uh, that's easy. That shit frustrates me. That's an easy phone call. He's a good friend of mine. So you you, um, you get to a you get to a point where after they pull all like they basically throw it out. Your lawyer doesn't get communication on anything. They just say, "Hey, we are not telling you anything." Like we're it's dismissed. Period. Correct. Yeah, that's pretty much how it was. They're like, hey, this is it. Shut him up. Get rid of him. And that, like, they pretty much, and the order, again, which came down in some of the emails was like, here's Robert's dismissal. Here's his uh, exemption getting denied. Kick him out. Like, it was like, hurry up and get rid of this dude. Like, they wanted to take it away from me so bad because I just, like, I had become a center point and a face and a voice for this thing. Um, and I was just, like I said, I was working so hard to help so many people. And, like, I want to backtrack to something. When the original order came out, Colonel Kinney, I think was his name. He had looked through the paperwork too. He's like, oh, we can play that game. And he learned that involuntary vaccination was lawful if you have the approved thing, right? So he learned that was lawful and he had said, yeah, we can involuntary vaccinate. And that means hold people down. That's a very euphemistic word to like tell you, we're going to hold you down and we can stick people with this, whether they want it or not. And we're going to get our numbers. So like me as a drill, I'm like, that is not how we he put that out. He put that out in an order that, like, I can show you. Um, you know, like I said I have the receipts. He's saying you could involuntarily force people to take the shot. Right. So it took our team having that conversation with him, saying, "Like, hold on, man. So let's go to Fort Hood. You want four or five male soldiers holding down a female soldier, screaming no while you penetrate her body with something she doesn't want in any way that you ask that. That's sick, right? Oh my God." You want to go to Fort uh, Rucker? You want to go to Alabama? Do you want four or five white soldiers holding down an African-American soldier screaming no? Experimental vaccination going in? Like, is this what you want? Is this how we treat people? And is this the optics you're okay with? And that's, Who's this dude? Uh, Colonel Kinney. I can't remember his He's position. probably a fucking general right now. <laughs> He's probably in charge of a lot more. Uh, so that's the thing is that anybody that, you know, bucked the system on this stuff got removed from position very quickly. So there was a... Uh, brigade sergeant major that called me from Italy. He's like, Hey, uh, I'm command sergeant major th- or sergeant major. This formerly command sergeant major. I lost my brigade. And he's like, I, I want to help. You know, how do I like throw my you know bid in? How do I help? Like what you're doing? What information can I give you? And I was like, dude, I want to know what comes down to the brigade level. You know? So like I said, we just like all across the force, we were just seeing this, like this purge and it was happening quick. And then Marines were offering like short outs. They're like, if you want to just accept the short out now, you can be gone within the next month. And a lot of people were like, I'm done with this. This is not how I want to see people treated. Um, so on top of our numbers we're losing, 
on top of all the injuries, which I will let you look at this and I will show you, like I said, the, the most protected set of data, which is one more thing about, uh, on top of everything. Now you got people that are watching guys like me go through this, you know, this torture. And they're like, man, I saw what happened to Rob. I think I'm done with this. Like that could very easily have been me guys that went along with it. Right. So then they have retention numbers go down and then recruiting people are seeing what's happening and they're like, man, I don't know. Like army's a crazy place. They're fraught with there's sexual assaults. There's murders, like kidnappings. Nobody cares. Like here's all this like forced vaccine order that like seems to be illegal. And everybody had questions and like their conduct is part of what is responsible for our numbers now. And they can blame it on whatever they want. But like the army created and all of the force broadly created that perception and that problem of like where they are sitting now in such low numbers. Now they're calling guys back. They're like, Hey, we know we kicked you over COVID and you're on terminal leave and you already moved home to Missouri, but uh, you're actually still on active duty. We, we tore the whole thing up. So come on back. Good news, buddy. And you can imagine their response. You know, how would you feel? Dude, you know? So I, I imagine the, <laughs> the overall readiness and morale of the military of the army right now, I know the, the, the new, the new Sergeant major of the army, which I think is just a, 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 a very mascotty position. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest, As speaking from a sergeant major, somebody who went through the Sergeant Major Academy and took uh, 40 hours on military museums as a block of instruction, okay. the the enlisted side of it, they, they're they fashion police. You know, here's 670-1, go enforce the standards. And when it comes to operational, when it comes to all the seriousness of commands and control, it's put on the officers, which that division sucks, but it's like, no, nobody's taking up for the guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope, you know, as a, the, the new, the new Sergeant major, the new CSM of the army is a former unit guy. Um, and he's a former special operations guy. Uh, I hope he changes things because it seems like, uh, the readiness and the morale is completely destroyed. It'd be pretty hard at this point to pull that back because even somebody in that position had to have gone along with at least part of this. Yeah. You know, and um, and it's hard because like, so another investigation pops up, right? I find out that I'm getting internally investigated from MARSOC, right? I'm, I've never talked to MARSOC in my life. Uh, one of my co-plaintiffs was a Marine and she got it leaked to her from somebody that was like, hey, like, Anybody who has typed your name into a military computer, Google search, email, anybody that's communicated with you, like, he's like, we're having to pull all of this stuff together. And like, I understand the danger of me putting this out right now because the only CCIR, like the only critical, like, uh, incident that has to be reported is a leak of this operation happening, right? Which is something that they were going to like, they were going to root this out. So like... They're, for some reason, collecting all this data. Of you guys doing the right thing. Of trying to get information. Yeah, and they're not pulling it from our personal emails. It's just inside a military network. So I don't know what kind of workaround they had to do that. But if you're going to investigate people internally, you're probably working with, like, the Bureau. Like, there's things that you have to do to be able to treat people like that. So that's going on. And then we get... You know, like there's even more information just keeps coming out. So the DMED data we leak and then the Pentagon says, oh, there just happens to have been uh, an error for the last five years. So we're going we're gonna to pull it down. Uh, we're going to fix it. Right. And then we'll put it back up. So the DMED shuts down because we whistle blew on it. Right. And then it comes back up with like flatter numbers than the peaks that we were seeing. And here's the interesting part. Over the next six months, the numbers all peaked again. So they adjusted it and said, well, that's handled. And then it peaked again on its own. Because like they're collecting the provider new data. information through it, the, right. the docs. So it continued to happen. People were still getting hurt. 
you know, and my concern is that like, man, think about just between the people you lost over it, all the injuries inside the force, the retention problems, like the morale problem, like all those things, like the recruiting, like think about how much you just debilitated the American military, which again, like this will defend dude. Like this is something I care about. That means the country. That means the army. That means like my value system, the army values. I just tried to hold to that the entire time. And there's a lot of good leaders that did the best for their soldiers throughout this whole thing. You know, and final numbers for guys that got kicked, the air force stopped reporting six months before the mandate got pulled. But you know, their final numbers is uh, 8,456 kicked, right? And if you were to total that up with what has been kicked since then, it's now pushing about 10,000. So that means we lost more people over this in a couple of years than all of the war in Iraq, all of the war in Afghanistan, plus everybody in 9-11 combined. Just in the Air Force? No, just uh, DOD-wide. Oh, is that DOD-wide? DOD-wide. So we lost 10,000 people who were like, I'm not taking it, and they pushed them out completely? Right. Wow. And even to this day, after the order was finished... Uh, there were still 83,000 soldiers or so that were still holding the line, most of them National Guard, yeah. that they still had said, like, nope, we're not doing it, and unit, it's on you to kick me out, figure it out. Um, and those numbers started when I first went on Fox. You know, they told me that our initial plaintiff class, because they were trying to file it as a class action, was 430,000 people. Wow. So I was like, oh, yeah, no, no pressure, Rob. Like, just half a million soldiers, like, entirely hanging on your ability to pull this off. Because House Armed Services Committee told me, they're like, we don't have enough Republican seats to vote this thing out. We can't stop this, right? It's kind of on you to handle it legally. I was like, it's a crime, man. Like, it's already a crime. There's no vote involved. And they kind of got like, that's yeah, that's not really how it works on the Hill. Um, so when my case did finally pop back up three days before my retirement date, all of a sudden, they're 30 days out. They hit their check mark. Pentagon's freaking out again. Wait, Robert's still in the Army? They're like... Where has he been this whole time? How has he gotten this far? And then there's my commander who had protected me that whole time and kept it quiet that I was still in just by saying like, no, I mean, he has this exemption he's waiting on an answer from, you know? So like I said, he, he did the best he could. Yeah. He still went along eventually, you know? Um, but they, you know, they, they start freaking out, trying to figure out what to do. They're like, stop him. Don't let him leave or whatever. Because I think what happened was they figured out like, I had hit a pretty significant percentage of DOD disability uh, just from, like I said, back spine, like my TBIs, everything I had going on, pretty much inoperable at this point, just staying on my feet with just handfuls of ibuprofen, right? Um, so they had decided, like, yeah, you're not, you're unfit for duty. And I think they figured out if you can get rid of me quicker if you just approve my retirement. And they tried to rush me out the door then, but they didn't do it fast enough because I still had three days left on active duty wow. when it went to court. So we go to court. They don't make a decision. They're like, this is a lot. And we weren't aware of a lot of this. We're going to have to hear this again. The judges weren't basically like really on our side, um, but it pens for a little while. And then you have the NDAA come up. So there's like budgetary agreements and things like that. that are going to happen that both sides of the house are going to have to sign to approve the budget for the DOD. And the um, conservative side put it up. They're like, if vaccine mandate ends. So we want this. If you want your money for Ukraine, if you want your money for whatever, like if you want to approve that, you're going to get rid of the vaccine mandate. So they did that. They negotiated it in a bill in the terms. In the NDAA, right? So when one of those gets signed every single year. So the problem with that is by doing that, it kind of like, uh, I guess, put everybody off in this section where it's like there's no accountability anymore. There's no accountability for the people that committed these crimes and anything because we're Free not. Pass. It is. They're like, yep, well, bygones, whatever. Like, and now it's done. 
And then it takes 30 days to go into effect after January 1st when it was signed. So it was like sometime mid-February, maybe early March that they finally sent the order out and they're like, okay, vaccine order is done. And then, like I said, within a month ago, now you can't have any of like all of the EUA stuff disappears from the market. You can't even get it. And I hope people understand that like Title 10 election, uh, Title 10, Section 1107 protected soldiers, but the EUA didn't protect anybody. So any civilian that voluntarily got something under the EUA label if something happens to you, there's no legal recourse. You cannot sue Pfizer for it. You voluntarily participated in a post-authorization study. So like even they had no protection on these things. And you know, like, and when the thing came out and they said, we have the approved stuff, um, certain vials started showing up in like certain like bases four or five at a time. They're like, Oh, you wanted the, the label thing. You want Comirnaty? Here it is. And popping up and guys are asking us questions. They're like, Hey man, I thought you said this wasn't produced. I was like, it wasn't Get me the lot number. We dig into it. It's produced overseas. They brought this stuff up in like Australia or in the UK, which has different rules about EUA. They can use the approved label before it's fully approved because they don't have an FDA in the UK. Mm -hmm. They have a different version. So somebody sourced foreign vials that still don't meet the standard and then tried to bait and switch with some of our soldiers just to try to get a few more numbers out of that thing. And like if people remember high school chemistry, if you don't precisely mix exact proportions of the two or however many chemicals as they're supposed to be, yeah. you have a new compound, a different name, different properties. It goes from being healing to being lethal, whatever. So when they said that it was the same formulation and it was interchangeable in their memos, like it had redacted ingredients and things all in different proportions. So we're like, how is that the same thing? You know, like I said, basic high school chemistry, uh, you know, and then what you learn as a kid, like, oh, you got this like sickness and you have natural immunity. Like we, they just like squashed all the things that we always knew and just said, we don't care. You're getting it. Wow. So the guy, the guy that yeah. you left behind in your unit that was fighting, like standing in the line, you said he's good now, but he went through basically two years of hell. Yeah. I mean, they took his hat and badge. Uh, they pulled him off the line or whatever and just put him in like an admin role. He was no longer allowed to train soldiers. He was just kind of sequestered until like we were chaptering him just like one of the punk kids from basic training that like, you know, so starting fights they all the time. They were chaptering so, him? Literally a chapter, right? So that's another thing that's really important. And I want to make sure this gets out because the people that listen to this podcast and that like, I think people like you care about like those 10,000 soldiers, they got kicked under a general under honorable discharge, which means that wow, they a lot of them lost their GI bill. So even though they didn't go to jail over it and they're not going to lose their like right to own guns and stuff, they took away any chance of these people ever having a future. Some of the discharge codes on there put it, it's in the same category as like people that commit like sexual assaults basically for this, the misconduct that they gave them on their DD two fourteens. So these people are now struggling to explain that when they go get jobs and stuff. Wow. And these are like qualified, well-trained soldiers that like are, you know, willing to work hard and are brave enough to speak up when something's going wrong. And now they're the hardest to find and hire, but these people are out there and they need help, you know? And that's, that's insane. like, yeah. and I don't have a place that, you know, it's collected that we can put something out like, Hey, if you've got space for them, put it up on this.com. I wish I did. Uh, you know, I don't, but it's like, you know, when those people come across your desk, like understand that they did what they swore to do, you know, they did what you asked of them, you know, foreign and domestic, right? Like they, they did that whole thing as hokey and tongue in cheek as that stuff sounds like they really lived it. They, yeah. they held the line, yeah. they stuck to their values. They knew they were right. And then everything that we said, um, you know, my girlfriend, 
she has 180,000 followers on Instagram, right? And she had 220,000 before that. She's gotten shadow banned to now where she has maybe 100 viewers of her story because she tried to help us. And now everything that she put out that they were like, oh, this is misinformation, all of it's now true. Everything that they came out with, they're like, oh, yeah, well, actually, myocarditis is a problem. And uh, and there's no there's no yeah. recourse for any of it, right? No. And so, so your guy who had his badge, uh, his, his drill badge and his hat taken and was going to be chaptered, is he going to be restored? So here's the thing. A lot of those guys, and I only spoke to him a couple weeks ago. He's still a busy guy. Um, he's just He was like, hey, I'm good now. I'm staying in. Uh, I'm no longer getting kicked, but there's still HRC flags. So like his ability to progress or to make E7 and stuff like that is like permanently hamstrung until they can get that a little bit straightened out. Uh, he had orders back to another unit. Like Everything got canceled and pulled, so he's trying to like – rebuild his career and get back on track now in the middle of this thing. But like I said, these guys are still dealing with these like shadow policies and like some of the fallout from what happened. Um, so he personally, I don't know if they put him back on the trail yet. I owe him a phone call um, for sure. And to find out anyway, but like I said, you know, he, he did the best he could and then he, he did want to stay. And that was the thing that bothered him the whole time. And it hurt because guys at the unit would tell us all the time. They're like, man, we love working with you guys and you're so good at your jobs. And like, you know, I was like number two out of 12 for like drill sergeant of the cycle. My first cycle, like generally that's voted amongst the drills. So they either like you and you're a team player or not. Yeah. So like, so I got put into that position and they were like, ah, we just wish you guys were staying in. And like, you know, we'd about throw our hats, you know, just like, are you serious? Like, you know, like, and like, wow, well, if anything ever happens, you know, we got your back and we're just like, dude, something did happen and no one had our backs. Like everyone did not. what, What I'm confused about, I mean, I would have been one of those guys because I would have took the vaccine and I would have stood in principle. I would have likely been in, in in your shoes in some capacity. And I know a lot of Green Berets, a lot of SEALs, a lot of guys who did who refused it, who said, right. kick me out, do whatever you want to. We are not taking this. And when you look at the amount of people who did, is it surprising to you the amount of people who jumped on the bandwagon out the gate? So not really because, like, I, I myself, you know – I was like, uh, I was on a, basically an emergency recall status for like a variety of different missions. The 82nd has a version of that. Yeah. I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about. Um, but they have a version of that, that I was like on two hour recall, recall for, yeah. for years, right. For yeah. this thing. Um, and you know, depending on where you're going, you're getting uh, Japanese encephalitis and like yellow fever. And like, I mean, they're just sticking you with whatever. Cause you're just like, yeah, I'm on the mission. My boys are not going without me. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm going to JMPI my own dudes. I'm going to put them out the aircraft and I'm going with them, you know? And like, that was the type of leader that I was. So I never questioned it, you know? And then I've got 11 flu shots, you know, like I got yeah. it every year. Cause like, Oh, you need your flu shot. Sure, man. But that had a process, you know, and then even um, anthrax, I've got a bunch of now. Yeah. But it took 17 years after that that case for them to get actual approval to push that shot through. You know, like I said, this is just a process that just you can't just do it overnight. It was and the haste you, that bothered it you was. About it. Yeah. It wasn't. Then it was just the enforcement. Because like if I I was like ah, I don't want to get a flu shot, they'd be like, yeah, well you need to. But if I say I don't want to get a COVID shot, it was like you will. Like yeah. like you close your mouth. Like you know, it was just this crazy overreaction that like that was kind of the red flag to be like man something is uh not right about this interesting yeah the psychology in that is very different and and now do you have stats on injury because injury is significant and it's significant for many reasons personally for people who got the shot and you're dealing with those things myocarditis i mean my my own media guy like the head of my media who's in this room literally is dealing with the, the these issues right because it's a serious repercussion of something in haste when you go back and you look at the force and the strength of the force 
It's based not just on morale, but physical readiness and how much of the force has been affected by this and what kind of injuries are we looking at? So I wish I could give you current numbers on that stuff. Like me retiring kind of pulled me by the wayside for access to a lot of that stuff and rightfully so. Um, But I mean, you look at like a lot of the pilots, you're seeing a lot of helicopters go down across the force. I don't know if you've noticed. Interesting. I never even like until you said something. All, they they shut down Rotary Wing for a period of time to figure out what was going on. They did, and it, if you'll find like every single time they will come up with some other excuse. Yeah, like but no birds have never gone down before. By the not way. like this. Yeah. yeah, and then even Teresa Long is an aviation uh, unit brigade surgeon, right? So like she is seeing this, and this is why she had this data. She's like, no, I'm seeing it in person. She's like, I have three people in my own unit that have testicular cancer out of nowhere. Like this isn't a thing that you're just like, oh wow, what a weird you know, weird season to have, you know, like this isn't pollen, this isn't climate change, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is something very deliberate going on and no one will allow us to talk about it. Oh my God. I mean, to be honest, like you're the first person from any of the companies we reached out to even to like be willing to take time to sit and say this because I get it. It's nuclear waste. It's like radioactive. No one wants to touch it. Nobody wants to even believe it's true half the time and it's scary. And there's so many more layers to this. I mean, I could talk for a 10 part series about this, honestly, uh, like, but it's just like, you know, just like war is, especially in like the soft community, not every hero is going to get their story told. And like, maybe they deserve that. But the truth is, is that like their legend lives on and the people that cared about them, the people they took care of, like they know it. And there's, that is all through the force right now. And there is a handful of good, really solid people that still care that are left in that 83,000. There's a lot of people that, like I said, held the line. Um, like I said, there's just so many, so many different parts of this. And what scares me is, what kind of force does that leave behind, right? It, it, you have like the border situation right now, right? Where you're going to have another thing come down the line where they're like, hey, just hold the gate open for these dudes. Don't touch anybody. Just get out of their way, you know? And they're like almost facilitating an invasion, right? Which I think is tied to a few different things or whatever. But those guys are probably going to do it because they're getting used to just like the COVID years. You just do what you were told. Every single person thought they had the ultimate authority at every level, mm-hmm. and then they just never let that power go. So you have that question of like, what are they willing to do? Uh, you know, at this point, just because they're following orders, they're developing that force. Mm. Like I said, an ideological purge. They told me three years prior to what we're seeing now, and so that's a, you know, it's just like a really good question when you look at things internally. When you talk about things like the risk of martial law. Or how things could happen like that. And does it take a force of bad guys? Mm. No, it didn't take, you know, a force of bad people at Ruby Ridge, but it took a bad sniper and a bad team leader and a lot of people that weren't willing to say anything, Mm. you know? And that's like, if you have that kind of force, if you have a few bad actors that are taking the initiative on those things and a bunch of people that don't know how to speak up or aren't willing to, it's a super dangerous thing to, you know, to look at. And I don't know where that's going, um, but it is, like I said, it's something that guys like me are concerned with. You know, yeah, compliance is 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 crazy, man. And we, and we we showed our ass. A lot of people made a lot of mistakes, and we saw what institutions were were truly capable of. Um, I think you should be on Sean Ryan's podcast. I mean, the long form of Sean Ryan is one of the bla- best platforms in long form to tell the story. We're limited by a, a time constraint, but again, digging in the weeds and then having multiple layers, journalistic la- layers of telling this story. I'll, I'll certainly talk about it in my prep life episode. Awesome. Um, it's very important to keep communicating about, um, that's personal courage. I mean, it's one of the values and ethos of being in the military. 
and something that we took serious when it was hanging around our dog tags yeah. and basic training. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. something that you had to teach these young men. What are you doing now? What are you doing now that you're out? You're retired. So <laughs> ironically, uh, not even ironically, just completely expectedly, the VA left me hanging a little bit on they're like, hey, you'll have this little bit of VA money to help you out. It took months and months to roll over. So I kind of found myself like, oh, we'll get any more of that DOD money, right? So I still have a security clearance. Um, I've been doing a little bit of contracting work. I've been assisting with training in different places. Um, and then I also now recently picked up a job where I'm working full-time for a firearms manufacturer here in, in Utah. So I build ARs, uh, test fire, and like just make sure they're going out to the, the customer actually working, you know? Yeah. So like a lot of that stuff will come through my hands. The QC um, of it. Yeah, there's a big part of that. Uh, I recently started my own podcast with them because they had just been kind of like a Amazon.com of gun parts for a long time. Yeah. And I was like, man, I want to talk to more people. Like we have very affordable stuff, budget, we'll call it. Uh, firearms for people. We're putting it out there, but like, I want to, you're talking about like, these people are in our market. Dan Robert isn't our customer. I was like, well, how do I, how do I do that? Like, how do I pull those people in? So I started some informational stuff. Um, I want to look into a little bit of training that a lot of guys are having my ear for right now. I want to start like opening that part of the company up. And then I started doing a lot of internal training. Um, I developed some internal training documents for customer service so that I can improve the quality that we're giving back to our customers. Yeah. I was like, you're hiring people off the streets. People are calling. They're like, Hey man, I don't know what, what twist rate do I need for a 20 inch barrel if I'm shooting this grain ammo? And they're just like, Oh man, I don't know. So yeah. I was like, Hey, let's fix that. So what's the name of the company? Uh, Davidson defense. Davidson. Yep. Davidson defense. And that's yep. in uh, Utah. Yep. It's in, it's in Orem, Utah. So that's just right on the road, man. Yeah. It's on the road. And then we, we, uh, test fire our weapons right at ready gunner. People see us all the time. Awesome. Pushing, uh, carts of 50 to hundred rifles in there. Just, you know, yeah. put it on the elevator, go in, then run stuff through, take our notes and get out of there. So when people see us coming and going, like we're trying, we're trying to get your stuff running and make sure it's like functional when it gets out there. Cause like I said, I, I keep coming back to it, but this will defend man. Like that is a part that I really care about. So like me having investment and people having, like functioning firearms in their homes. Something I care a lot about. So this is kind of my place that I've been able to do that. And it was only now that things have kind of quieted down that I had an opportunity to like, all right, I think it is time. And I want to talk about this maybe a couple more times. And then like, I kind of have to have closure on everything that happened to me. Yeah. I mean, how long can I keep reliving the last three years? Yeah. Uh, never forget, maybe not even forgive. Um, but like, I think that I can't take it out of myself anymore for the yeah. things that, uh, you know, uh, it's like at the end of Schindler's list that he's like, my watch, I could have sold this and I could have saved, this is two more people, you know? And that's how I was starting to feel when I retired. I was like, you know, did I leave those people hanging? You know, and it's just the messages that came in the pouring, the outpour of support. People were like, no, dude, you did more than anybody historically. And we all built off of your message. And I'm not making this about me. I'm just saying like the endearing, like enduring, like human spirit that like these people had to like continue the fight after like this leader was taken away. You know, because like if you've seen like, a, I don't know, which, do you guys have a similar thing like JRTC you train at? Yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah. what happens when the, the guys come over? They're like, they'll find whoever's doing the most. They're like, hey, you, you're dead. Lay down and just see what the team does without the leader, you know, without somebody who's taking charge. And, you know, I got to see that force wide for 83,000 at least plus people. And like they continue to do the right thing after I was gone. And like that meant a lot to me. You know, that was a lasting effect that I cared about because I know that is preserving a part of the force that it really needs. And I think it's going to need really hard uh, in the next like couple of years. I yeah. think as things come down the line, it's really important that you have people that like are knowledgeable and like will look at stuff and be like, hey, this doesn't look right. I'm willing to say something, I'm willing to do something about it. Um, you know, and like to step up and say that it takes a lot of courage. 
Um, Corporal Arnett, had you seen anything about her? No. Um, I don't know how much time we have left. Um, but so she was in Okinawa in the Marines. She had refused the shot. And then they said, you're going to fly back to the States to be discharged. And she refused to get on the plane. She's like, if I get on that plane, I'm admitting that you're right. She's like, I'm not going anywhere. Right. So she ends up putting herself in a position where she's basically homeless, <laughs> you know, in Japan to stand up and say like, no, I, I'm not admitting you're right. Like, we're going to talk about this. We're gonna do this. this is a corporal or a Lance corporal at the time mm. in the Marine Corps. This is a E3. Like, you know, this is a very young service member. You know, she held the line all the way until it ended up basically they declared her AWOL. I believe is how they did it. And then put her in prison. And she only recently got released from prison uh, stateside after like a large social media outcry. A lot of people like calling in, making phone calls, writing to senators and stuff like that. I mean, very recently, Pipe Hitters Foundation, um, I believe, was tied in with that. But like if you look into Corporal Arnett, I mean, like I don't look at what I did as bravery. Right. So like I said, and I don't I'm the last person to talk about myself in this way. Like I said in that phone call, this is my responsibility. Like this is a minimum standard that an NCO in my position, in a position of trust as a drill sergeant, I owe this to my soldiers and my peers. Like, absolutely, I have to do this. People like Arnett didn't necessarily have like a team of attorneys and all these doctor friends and like all this access. And like, she's a staff sergeant. It's harder to push us around, you know? They did um, it on their own. So yeah. she was on her own in a room with a doctor and said no. And they're like, nope, you're going to, this is everything that's going to happen to you. And she still sat there and she said no. And I, that is bravery. Yeah. The PFCs, you know, I have uh, I have a, a, a NCO that came over from the Navy with a 18 x-ray contract. Stud dude, super smart, like great at PT, everything. Had some questions about it. Didn't want to get the shot. They yanked his 18x contract quick. Uh, and then he kicked around Benning for a while while he just waited to be discharged. And he came over there, you know, transferred over there with like all these hopes and dreams. Started doing the right thing. Like I said, intelligent, you know, like experienced dude. And he got kicked, you know, and he's he's out now. And it's like, you know, all these people, all these opportunities, all these great people we lost over this thing. And like I said, you just have to sit back and ask, like, what was it for? Yeah. You know, and what is the final effect of these things? And I can, I can tell stories about any of these people, <laughs> like I said, for the next hundred years, talk about every little individual case, you know, and uh, like I said, their bravery. And that's, that's what that took, that personal courage. Like you said, that's an army value. Yeah. And they lived it. They did. And like I said, I have so much respect for them. Yeah. So Same. We all do. I mean, that's it. It sounds like the same definitive mission, which is purpose, and now you got a different mission set, which mm-hmm. is evolving yourself in your own individual way, and then continue to tell their stories. Because if you tell their stories, at least people are educated and can make informed decisions in the future. Where can people find uh, the stuff that you got going on? Uh, so right now, they just started a YouTube channel for Davidson Defense. Um, yeah. It's a couple of other companies they are kind of fall under them like Delta team tactical. Maybe you've heard of like, it's also very like broad, you know, gun parts names, you know, like Mm -hmm. it'd be kind of hard to find, but uh, the Davidson defense um, storefront they have down there in Orem. And then like I said, we have a YouTube channel just started. It's got like three followers. I think I'm two of them, Uh, you know, (laughs) so uh, uh, you know, but that's like stuff that's going to keep getting put out Uh, my Instagram page. uh, Dinah Dan 1987 is what's on there. Um, and like I said, that's kind of where most of the focal point of that stuff was. I always push out that content and stuff like that. And just like looking to build it and build that community, get to know more people out here and stuff like that and see what I can do, uh, you know, to still build that strength in this area. So, yeah, I appreciate you, man. Appreciate you sharing your story. Um, you guys could find the links down below, but I appreciate you talking openly and honestly about everything that took place with you. I appreciate you taking the time to hear it. It means a lot to me and it's awesome to meet you, honestly. Like you've been somebody I looked up to for a long time. So this is a 
this is a cool like opportunity for me in a lot of different ways, but it means the most to me that you cared enough to hear it. So thank you. And thank to everyone here. Yeah. Thanks guys. Check out the links down below black rifle coffee podcast. Um, you guys could see the links to his YouTube links to his Instagram and get involved. Um, share your stories. When we start posting about this on social media and comments, start sharing your stories of things that you saw. Cause there's a lot of issues still working through. It's a constant thing. And, and like I said, we, like never forget and never forgive. Till next time. Peace out, guys. Joining the Black Rifle Coffee Club is like setting your coffee delivery to autopilot. As a club member, you get your favorite premium BRCC roast delivered fresh to your doorstep. All you have to do is pick your coffee, select the amount you want, then set the delivery schedule, and you're done. Easy as that. Not only will you get to knock coffee off your grocery list for good, but you also save cash over time since members get free shipping on deliveries. Club members also get exclusive discounts with partners like Phil Kraft Survival, Cryptech, Sig Sauer, and more. Join the Black Rifle Coffee Club today. Start saving and enjoy the peace of mind that your coffee has been taken care of. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy!